tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. hello here we are again and we're still in the letter to the ephesians which i really like i mean well i like the whole the whole book basically but the letter to the ephesians is it's it's just real powerful but you know you gotta know the background of 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 the um of of the Greco-Roman world, and we're going to do some more of that today. But first, we should pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in His comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Oh, that's the big book on the coffee table. I know it anywhere. It's open. All right. Ephesians. Well, I don't know which to take first. Ephesians are the... Um, I'll do Ephesians first, because I'll probably go off on a tirade in the middle of... Uh, um, uh, Teutonic tirade? Now the voice of my head just asked Teutonic tired. I'm not I'm not sure. Um but yeah, it might be pretty Teutonic. I'll I'll let you know at the time. I yesterday's show was well I got a phone call that has made me think a bit. Not good thoughts necessarily, but oh dear. Well let's go to Ephesians six, the tenth chapter, the twentieth verse. Draw your strength from the Lord and from his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and with the powers, with world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. Well, this is interesting. I've, I've been telling you that, that Ephesus was a great religious center in the ancient world, the temple of, of Artemis. And apparently there were lots of practitioners of exorcism and the dark arts and all that sort of thing. And uh, we read in the Acts of the Apostles that there's a great uh, bonfire. They burn all their amulets and magical books uh, in... Um, in, in, in Ephesus, let me pull that up so you can, well, let's, let's look at it. Um, uh, let's see here. Okay. Click Acts 1919. Uh, well, let's back up a little. Let's back up a little. Um, this is going on in, in, um, uh, chapter 19. 
we read in chapter 19, oh, verse, let's say 15. Let me pull up verse 15 here. Um, there are these guys practicing exorcism. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were, well, they were going around casting out demons. Now, you got to understand that in the ancient world, um, well, let me, let me read 1914, uh, 1913. I keep getting, you know, I remember conducting a Bible study in which we would end up three or four verses behind where we started. We didn't make progress much, but you got to really read this stuff. Now, this is Acts 19, verse 13. There were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those with evil spirits. They would say, I bind you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Exorcists were everywhere because the, in the ancient world, they, they thought that everything bad was caused by the devil. And not everything bad is caused by the devil. We cause a lot of it ourselves without his help. But, and you know, that people want to say it's demonic or it's not. And there's kind of a continuum. I, I don't know that the, the spiritual world and the material world are as nearly as separate as we think. I think there's a, a continuum. Is disease demonic? Well, it's not a good thing, and it is the result of the sin of Adam and Eve, we believe. Um, that's not to say I, I'm sick because I've sinned. You may be sick because I've sinned. We're all in this together. Sometimes I'm sick because I've sinned. Sometimes I'm sick because you've sinned. It's it's all kind of, you know, the, got got rough edges. It's It doesn't work the way we expect it to work. God has his own way of doing things, and the spiritual world has its own kind of physics, called metaphysics, I suppose. And uh, it interact, the, the spiritual realm interacts constantly with the realm in which we live, which we're going to talk about quite a bit today. All right. Now, there was I mentioned the itinerant Jewish exorcists. Um, rabbis at the time of Christ were considered... You know, they were they were exorcists. They just were. Well, sons of Skeva, Seva, seven sons of Skeva, a Jewish high chief priest, uh, were doing this. Eventually, one of the evil spirits answered them, saying, "Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you?" <laughs> well, it gets fun. Then the man with the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. The attack was so violent they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Not a lot of preaching on that verse, is there? This became known to all the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, and fear came over them. So the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And then we move on to see that um, the response to this was uh, many who had believed now came forward confessing and disclosing their their deeds. A number of those who had practiced magic arts, brought their books and burned them in front of everyone. When the value of the books was calculated, the, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's a lot of money. Uh, so the word of the Lord powerfully continued to spread and to prevail. Um, um, so this is what's going on in Ephesus. It, it, it seems to have been a kind of religious center, but not, not in a good way. So that said... Paul is ending the letter to the Ephesians. He's getting close to the end by pointing out that, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's saying you've got to put on the arm of God because you're involved in a battle. Um, back to the, the, 
the interaction of the spiritual and physical realms or dimensions or whatever you want to call them. Um, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters uh, has the devil call us amphibians, like frogs, living on the edge of two worlds. We live both in the material world and the spiritual world. And we Christians, uh, we were, the f- we're very science fiction, we, but not fiction, science reality. Um, that that um, Scientists talk about different dimensions. Well, we've been talking about them forever. Uh, that, that, well, heaven is up in the skies. No, it's not. Heaven is all around you. The spiritual realm is all around you. And very interestingly, um, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, with the evil spirits in the heavens. There are evil spirits in heaven? Well, the word heaven is just, in Greek, it's just skies. They had no way to conceive of different dimensionality. Have you ever thought that right now, going through you, there are lots of television shows and radio programs and all that? They're going right through you. The radio waves, they're going right through you. You don't have the, rec- the, the receiver to translate them into speech that you can understand, but they're still there. And so it is with the spiritual realm. It's, it's, you're in it. It's just that most people, thank God, at least I say that in my own case, we don't have the, the gift to see it. I often mention Roy Showman's wonderful conversion experience in which he was allowed to see how thin the veil was between the real world and the world in which we live. This world is, of course, real, but the spiritual dimension is even more real. And we're living in it. If I could see the spiritual world, I would probably hide under my bed because there's probably constant warfare going on between angels and demons and spiritual realities and you know now don't get creeped out about it because remember the lord said greater is he that is in you or rather i think saint paul says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world i mean we don't have to be afraid of the devil provided we put on the armor of god so let's look at it Uh, therefore put on the armor of god that you may be able to resist on the evil day Stand fast with your loins girded in truth. What the heck does that mean? Well, remember that that they kind of wore these long outfits, tunics that, you know, sometimes went far down to the ankles kind of thing. Well, when they had any kind of work to do, they, they, they would pick up their skirts and they would um, tie them up with their belt so that they could walk or run unhindered. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I remember I had to do a wedding mass in at the Montserrat Monastery in, in Barcelona, um, and we were late, and I'm trying to run up the hill in a cassock. It's tough. So you tuck the cassock up in your, in your cincture, and off you go. Um, that's girding your loins. How do you gird them? With truth. In other words, you know, good intentions may be flapping all around in the wind, but tie them up and with truth. You know, don't don't um, uh, don't overestimate or underestimate your own uh, power. You know, um, put on a nice put a nice suit of clothes on and you look good. Um, without it, you might not look so good. Truth, gird your loins with truth. 
with realism. And with righteousness as a breastplate. Remember, I talk a lot about righteousness as being really is being reshaped in the image of Christ. And part of that is generosity, as I'm always pointing out. Um, clothe clothe your, yourself with righteousness as a breastplate. That that righteousness protects your heart. You know, that that this is this is the the center of, of our being that, that that makes it all happen. Um I remember hearing a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, sort of interpretation of the idea that Eve was taken from the rib of Adam, that um, she wasn't taken from his feet lest he should boast, nor from his head lest she should boast, but from his rib that they should walk side by side. And then someone said to me, yeah, and the ribs protect the heart. It's charity, the very nature of God, that the justice of God is charged with sacrificial love, with charity. And that protects your heart. Your feet shod in the readiness for the gospel of peace. You know, you're not, why your feet shod in the readiness? I don't know if you've ever had to walk barefoot for very far, but it hurts. Um, you can't really fight a battle without good foot gear because all you're thinking about is ooh, ow, ah, ooh, the feet. Feet shod, well, what do you want to put on your feet? A readiness for the gospel of peace. We are so critical and we're so ready, as I, I was talking about yesterday, to condemn people, to send them to hell, but, but the gospel of peace, the good news of 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 peace and i don't mean kind of peace love hippie peace but the real the real blessing and prosperity the shalom that comes from knowing god my intention is to do you good that's what i should be able to say instead of i'm going to clobber you no you protect your 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 footing when you when you desire the best for someone uh so i, I that's how i read this uh, the good news of of peace. Um, uh, well, well, let's move on. Okay, um, <clears throat> hold faith as a shield. Now, the the psalm response today talks about this. It says, um, uh, uh, "My my shield in whom I trust." Remember that that the word trust and faith are the same exact word. So Saint Paul here is quoting. The Psalms, when he says, uh, take up the shield of, of faith, um, you know, it is very interesting that um, the devil wants to shake, to shake the word that God has given us. Um, you look at what happened in the Garden of Eden, and, and Eve was looking at this fruit, the devil comes up and he wants to take the word that God has given her. God, God has said to Adam and Eve, don't eat that fruit because you will certainly die if you do so. Um, and, and they say, Lord, we got you. Well, surprise, surprise, the devil comes up and he says, has God said? Has, has God really said? And she said, yeah, but then he got her to look at the fruit and she began to to not trust God. Think of it. She began to not trust God. Well, 
we do that all the time. You know, we think God is not gonna not God is not gonna uh, take care of us. He he can't do it. He's he's not gonna do it, but he is. He's he's gonna protect us. Uh, so your shield is trust. If you if you remember that God is faithful, oh, the devil loses his advantage. Um, so so uh, that's how I interpret that one. And then the helmet of salvation. What is that about? The helmet of salvation, I think, is what the Blessed Mother talks about in the Magnificat. She was, by human standards, in a difficult situation, pregnant and unmarried. But what does she do? She rejoiced. She magnified the Lord. And how did she do that? She talked about Abraham. He's been faithful to Abraham. He's raised the lowly uh, and cast the mighty from the thrones. He's fed the hungry. He's done all these wonderful things for our ancestors. That, that's, she's rem remembering uh, how God uh, plucked people out of a uh, bad situation. And so um, that's the helmet of salvation. She's protecting uh, what she's thinking with a remembering of what God has done and the sword of the spirit, um, which is the word of God. Again, to know what God has said. And the primary way we learn that is scripture. Remember St. Jerome said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Well, let's quickly go to the gospel. Um, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, go away, leave this area because Herod wants to kill you. This is an instance in which the Pharisees were protective of Jesus. Uh, I, I've spent a lot of time talking about this. Luke thirteen thirty one. Well, Jesus says, I, ca I cast out demons, I perform healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I accomplish my purpose. In other words, Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm casting out demons and healing. And that's what people like. But the real fun comes later when I give my love fun. Maybe that's an inappropriate word, but the real the real thing comes later when I offer my life as a sacrifice. A Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, uh, who sent you. And then he ends with, but you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the standard way of saying welcome in Hebrew. Baruch haba, blessed is he who comes. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, that's that's welcome. And uh, he says to them, your house will be abandoned. And when you talk about the house in Jerusalem, you mean the temple. Your temple will be abandoned. That's what the house is. Um, it's interesting. He says, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, welcome. Well, they saw him. He went to Jerusalem. They saw him. They didn't see him. They saw what they thought they were seeing. And this brings me to the Teutonic tirade part of this. <sighs> There's the Teutonic tirade music. Yesterday, someone called in and said, is Adam and Eve just a myth and Noah? No, they're not myths. These things happened. Now, the description of them in the scripture is inspired. It may be verbatim. It may not be. It is poetic, however. The Bible is not a book. The Bible is a library. 
when people say, well, the Bible is wrong, it'd be like going into a library to say, this library is wrong. What part is wrong? Oh, the science part is definitely wrong. What? Yeah, because science, as soon as you publish a science textbook, it's it's antiquated because there are constant discoveries and constant uh, new ideas in science challenging the old. So the least accurate part of a library is the science section. Math, that's pretty standard. Um, history, well, <laughs> history, history is written by the victors usually, so the history section has got lots of mistakes in it. There's one section which I think in addition to mathematics is always true, and that's poetry. I am not a poetic soul, believe me. But poetry, ancient, modern, the truth of poetry is always true. And there is in the Bible, there is history. In the Bible, there is law. In the Bible, there is philosophy. In the Bible, there is poetry. And these events of the flood, and there was most certainly a flood. Uh, now, I don't know if it covered the entire globe. It says it covered the face of the land. Kol Haaretz, all the land. May have been just been the, this, a certain valley, who knows. They didn't have the concept of the olam, the whole thing, uh, the way we do. Uh, so who knows what that means. But this event happened, and the Bible is very concerned with what it means. The creation happened. The Bible is very concerned with what it means. And when some teacher comes up to people and says, well, it's, of course, all myth. No, it is not. It's not myth. Myth and poetry are not the same thing. In fact, St. Paul says, you have not been instructed with clever myths. And it is reprehensible when a, a teacher of a Bible study begins by trying to destroy people's faith in the truth of that book. There is no truer book. And I always say, now, now I'm going to back up here, but you don't see what's going on in the world. Uh, well, I, I need to finish this. Um, I think I've told you many times about the, the, the little boy in Yemen, who, and a little Jewish boy in Yemen, who went after 1948. Uh, the Yemenis were surrounding the Jews, ready to kill them. And uh, they're at the airport, and the planes come in to airlift uh, all these the Yemenite Jewish community to uh, Israel. And the little boy says, look, Mommy, it's just like the old prophecy that the, the wings, uh, the birds with the wings of silver to take us back to the Holy Land. Apparently, there was some old folk prophecy that, that the Lord would come and bring the Yemenis back to the Holy Land, the Yemeni Jews back to the Holy Land, and birds with silver wings. Well, those weren't birds. Those were airplanes, and that wasn't God. You see airplanes. God sees birds with silver wings. You see, this, the Bible describes things in words that its hearers can understand. The Holy Spirit speaks to us in words we can understand. And for some would-be radical theologian to say, oh, this is all just a myth. It's not just a myth. It's poetry about things that have happened in human history, real things. It may speak of it in in larger-than-life letters, but it's it's speaking the truth. And 
we should be so concerned for what it means instead of, well, it's just not true. It's not really true. It's just a myth. You know, so few people teach scripture in, in, in universities and in theology schools. They give Hebrew literature and translation instead of the truth of scripture. And that to me is reprehensible. I got to take a break. Boy, I've talked a long time, but I just had to get that off my chest. We'll be back with letters in just a few minutes. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. The Bible is true. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Flexible Premium Life Insurance. For less than $12 a month, a 40-year-old can get a half million dollars of coverage. Go to RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester today. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. Let us go now to letters. This is from Thomas in Stockton, California. Went to a funeral mass in the L.A. area, St. Simon and Jude. There were no kneelers. Priest appeared to preside accurately with the liturgy, but during mass there was no standing or kneeling throughout, only sitting. I feel the need to go to confession, which I will. You don't have to go to confession for that. You know, there is no, there is no particular... We do love rules. Well, you're supposed to kneel at this point. Yeah, if you can. If your knee's bad, sit. Or if there's no kneeler and you're going to ruin your knees because some priest took out the kneelers, sit. Uh, you know, in, in traditional churches, there were no kneelers, no chairs, no nothing. People came and stood there and knelt when they wanted to and thought they should. And we do so like to make rules about it. Um, if you're in a church where no one kneels and you want to kneel, kneel. Go ahead. But I would go. <laughs> I remember I was in a parish where no one knelt, or, uh, especially at the main mass, which I was not welcome to say for the first three years of my pastorate. It's a long story. But there were a few people who started coming, and then they were more traditional. And they said, Father, can we kneel? And everyone's standing at mass. I said, of course you can kneel. You're supposed to kneel. That's the usual posture in, in the Latin rite for this part of the mass. And so I said, but go to the front and kneel. So they went to the front and kneel, knelt. Then a few more people knelt. Then a few more people knelt. Within the three weeks, there were two angry people still standing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that, that um, you know, you can make too big a deal out of these things. The normal posture for certain parts of the Mass is to kneel, another part to sit, another part to stand. However... Yeah, the voice major said, unless you're in Italy, then you do whatever you want. And that's kind of true. But these customs have developed over the years. So don't worry about going to confession because you were forced to sit at a funeral. Um, was this a valid mass? Yes. The posture of the congregation has nothing to do with the validity of mass. Uh, mass can be valid with very, very little. Um, however... That doesn't mean you should do very, very little. Um, 
you, as I always say, you, you say, I'm quoting someone, but you, you say what's in the black, you do what's in the red if you're the celebrant. But, uh, Tom, don't worry about having to go to confession because you were forced to sit uh, during a funeral mass. Now, perhaps the celebrant or the person who initiated that lack of respect, maybe they need to go to confession. All right, let's do another letter here. Um, I gave my rosary to a person that I, I truly care for after she was telling me all the situations she's going through. Um with anxiety, stress, and problems with her mom, I gave it to her so that she can get closer to God. Uh, in prayers with the intercession of our mother, Virgin Mary, did I do the right thing? Yes, you did. You know, that, that you know, well, even if you don't have a rosary, that's why God gave you 10 fingers. You can count, you know, well, can I, I don't have a rosary. I can't say the rosary. Sure you can. Use your fingers to count with. That, that, um, that was a generous thing, Adelso. So, no, don't don't worry about that. All right, let me do another one here. I think I can do another one. Okay, <clears throat> this is a rather long letter, but the the essential question here is there. This is from uh, um, David in Chicago. Uh, is there a difference between salvation and justification? Yes, there is. Salvation, as I mentioned earlier, that that uh, our blessed mother talked about, she used salvation as a helmet to protect her thinking when she remembered how God had delivered Israel from from doom and from difficulty. She remembered what God had done for for her ancestors. Salvation is to be saved. It means to be snatched from from trouble. Um, that, that, and the Bible says we're saved in hope. Um, I always talk about the experience of, well, if you're walking through the forest and you fall into a pit of quicksand and you're sinking fast and somebody comes through the bushes with the express intention of pulling you out, you say, I'm saved. Well, you're not really saved yet. Um, you're not really saved until you're standing on the, the bank of the quicksand pool embracing your savior. But to be saved is to be snatched from imminent death and disaster. So what's justification? Justification. Justice is the, is the quality of being in right relationship with God and man. And justification, I believe, as I'm constantly telling you, is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, we're saved and we're redeemed. In other words, we're restored. Redemption is to be bought back. Christ bought us with his blood and he restores us to our position in the family of God. And to do that, he has to make us look like Christ. Uh, the father has to make us look like Christ by his grace. That's justification, to be made a just person. Atzadik, as the Jews would call it. So salvation is to be snatched from imminent doom and justification is to be restored to that image uh, for which God made us, the image of himself, full of love and mercy and truth and right relationship. All right. So I hope that answers that question. And that question answered, um, well, I think I can do one more. Remember, the, the phones are 888 nine one four nine one four nine okay let me do just one more here 
Oh, I don't want to do that. Do I want to do that one? Oh, gosh. Into the... Is it appropriate to have an inflatable ghost 10 feet tall on the front lawn of a Catholic church rectory? Um, um, well, <laughs> the voicemail said, well, rectories can be scary. I'm all for fall decorations, but perhaps pumpkin and cornstalks is more appropriate. You know, I kind of think you're right about that. Uh, I wouldn't have put one on my rectory, but I don't. I don't like decorating for Halloween. I, I'm opposed to it, and I'm especially opposed to putting cute fall uh, uh, cute fall displays, like uh, you know, corn stalks and pumpkins all around the altar. It's cute, but it looks more like a storefront window in an expensive boutique. You know, this thing about decorating for Halloween and making Halloween a grown-up uh, celebration. Uh, I don't think it's appropriate. I like Halloween, and I don't think there's anything wrong with dressing up in costumes and going trick-or-treating. But I always point out, when I was a kid, it was a three-day religious celebration. You started out with Halloween, you got a lot of candy, until, and you ate till it made you sick. You had the day off if you went to a Catholic school, because it was a holy day of obligation on November 1st, and then November 2nd. You know, you went to Mass on November 1st, and you went to Mass again November 2nd to pray for your dead relatives. It was a three-day celebration of the triumph uh, uh, of tr the triumph over death. And it was, uh, the costume part was for kids. Now it has become this, this ridiculous, um, you know, old people dressing up in skimpy witch costumes or or devil outfits and going to parties and getting drunk. That, that's, that's, I think that's utterly inappropriate. To make it a, a, a joyful festival, a, a whistling past the graveyard for children is just fine. But this idea of decorating, you know, all that sort of thing, some moderate things, a wreath on the door, a pumpkin, carving a pumpkin and putting it out, fine. But so I, I you know, I would never have done it. But on the other hand... I don't know that it is the worst thing in the world. There are other things to worry about than than inflatable funny ghosts. If it's, I imagine it's one of those things that that uh, wobbles about and is kind of funny. Maybe the pastor's got an odd sense of humor. I wouldn't worry too much about it. So that's my thought on it. Meh. Okay. Well, speaking of meh, let's go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And uh, 888-914-9149. The Catholic Order of Foresters, the sponsor of our studio line, is hiring today. Several positions available throughout the U.S. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester to learn more about how you can find your vocation with COF, an Illinois Life Insurance Society not licensed in all states. I'm going to keep on singing. I'm going to keep on shouting. I'm going to keep on lifting my voice and let the world know Jesus saved. I want to keep grinding this axe about the Jewish sacrificial law, so let's go to the word of the day. I don't know that I was very clear about the, the wave offering. Um, 
this is a very, very important concept in Judaism. Tanufa is the word of the day. Tanufa, T-N-U-F-A-H, or in Hebrew, though. It means a wave offering. And when Aaron and his sons were consecrated as priests, Moses literally picked them up and waved them back and forth. At least that's according to Rabbi Lazowski. They were waved before the Lord. And what that did was it transferred them to a higher realm, a higher degree of sanctity. And the sacrifices had levels of sanctity in, in Judaism. This is an important concept for us. Because, you see, uh, we are called a priestly, and in that sense, a sacrificial people we are translated to another reality, a higher reality. And I think we have to appreciate that, um, that, that, that we live a certain way. And this idea of a wave offering, something was lifted up and it was given to a higher reality. It belonged to God. That was the, the wave offering. Uh, so I just wanted to reemphasize that. Priests, as I said the other day, were not ordained. They, it was a hereditary priesthood, but they were initiated into their office by being lifted up into that higher realm. Now, we apply that uh, almost in a folkloric way to the priesthood in, in the Catholic Church. But it really is only kind of a, uh, um, a symbolic thing. It isn't a real thing. I, am, I really believe as a priest, I have a, a, a great dignity before the Lord and a great responsibility. But Rich Simon, meh, <laughs> not so much. Uh, I, I, I think that, that this people say, oh, you have a direct line to, to God. I say, so do you. It's called Jesus, that all of us are called to live sacrificial lives, priestly lives in that sense. Uh, so we're all called to sacrifice for the Lord. And thus we are all translated by our baptism to uh, something that is above this world. Um, and and I think we need to, to, to be very conscious of that. And a, a time to be conscious of that is, I think, when the host and the chalice are elevated at the... Uh, um, at the consecration, though that consecration lifting of of the Blessed Sacrament really was a custom introduced in the Middle Ages, uh, I think in the middle, dark and Middle Ages, so-called Dark Ages, uh, because there was a, a grace associated with beholding the body and blood of the Lord, and I think it's most appropriate. But there's another time when the the host and the chalice are elevated, and that's at the end of the canon. We say, through him, with him, and in him. And when you see that happen, think of the temple. This is being that the Jesus, the very Son of God, is being waved before the Father. We're still making the wave offering in which we acknowledge the the exalted position of what the world thinks is just bread and wine. So this lifting up, and, and I said yesterday that when Jesus said, when I am lifted up, when I become a wave offering, to me that is just astonishing. All right, let's go to phone calls. There is something the matter with your fin. <laughs> That's, of course, a clip from the movie uh, The Pink Panther, I think, isn't it? All right. 
Yeah, it is. I think it is the Pink Panther movie. At any rate, who do we have on the line now? Teresa from New Jersey, what can I do for you? Hello, Father Simon. I have a question. If we receive the Holy Spirit at baptism, Mm -hmm. why would we pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us? Oh, 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 very interesting. I heard a speaker, a Pentecostal speaker, talk about a text in the Scripture that I had never thought about this. Uh, um, St. Paul says, let me find it. You know about baptisms. It's it's an obscure, (laughs) invariably when I click on that. Okay. You know about baptisms. There are more than one baptism. What? There's more than one baptism? Uh, There's just one baptism. This is Second St. Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, This is in Hebrew 6, the second verse. Um, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and faith of God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Why would he talk about baptisms? Because the word baptism just means filling, just filling, or, or I'm not sorry, just dunking to be immersed in the presence of God, this is not a one-time event in life. Now, the, the, we look at the, at the scriptures and see that uh, the, the disciples received the Holy Spirit. On Easter, Jesus said, Receive the Holy Spirit, who sins you forgive are forgiven. Well, then what did they receive on Pentecost? Wait, and you will be filled with power from on high. On Easter, they received the indwelling Holy Spirit, sanctifying grace. On Pentecost, they received the outward manifestation of the indwelling Spirit for the good of the world and the whole church. So this idea of praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, this this being being immersed in God's presence, the Holy Spirit, isn't a one-time event that, that we can ask constantly for a greater infilling of God's Holy Spirit um, because it's very biblical. Uh, if they, if the disciples um, uh, had to be, after Jesus had said, receive the Holy Spirit, if the disciples needed still more, how much more am I going to need? Does that answer the question? Yes, thank you, Father. Well, God bless, and thanks for listening. Whom do we have now? Dear voice in my head. Panorama City. Goodness, goodness. Panorama yeah, <laughs> Michael in Panorama City. Oh, my. Great show, as always. Well, go on. What can I do for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Panorama City is in Van Nuys in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, all right. In okay, LA why not? County, in Los Angeles County. <laughs> okay. Yes, um, in light of all the talk of, uh, you know, death and dying and all those things and Day of the Dead coming up with Halloween, uh, my question is, what is death? What is the clear Bible teaching about death? And in light of Genesis 2.17, where God said, you shall surely die. And then in Genesis 3.4, the serpent said, you shall not surely die. So could you make comment on those? Well, Jesus Jesus clarifies that. That that, uh, when he says, beware of those who can kill the soul. Uh, bodily death uh, uh, um, 
is one thing, but spiritual death is is much more. I'm I'm trying to pull up that verse, and it's in Matthew ten twenty eight. Jesus says, "Do not be afraid of those." who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That, you know, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't die. Oh, yes, they did. They died spiritually. They became mortal. And I think the death of the body is just about our ability to function in this dimension. The death of the soul is is far more significant. Um, that death was always I was always told was the separation of the soul and the body, but the body ceases to be able to function, whereas the soul continues to function. I don't know if that answers your question. Does that help a little bit? Um, okay, um, it helps a bit, but what about the verse that says, the soul that sinneth shall die? Um, yeah, the, the, the soul that sinned shall like... die. Exactly. Like when, That's why we call it mortal sin, because one's soul dies. Uh, that, that, that a soul can, can enter into darkness. You know, people I know who died and lived to tell about it, the ones who don't have a pleasant death experience, talk about this overwhelming aloneness and darkness um that that this this absolute isolation and darkness i think that's what true death is and i think that's why we fear it we fear losing uh everything that we cherish but we don't if we die in a state of grace so uh this this uh death of the soul is a real thing now the soul can be raised from the dead by god who raised jesus from the dead so, um, by the father. So, I don't know if that answers your question, but but uh, did a good, the, you did a good job, and I'll, I'll I'll follow up another time. But you did a good job. Appreciate well, it. Well, thank you, thank, thank you. you. I'm glad to you. be of some help. All right, whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Mary from California. What can I do for you, Mary? Hi, father. Um... I have a, a question about a caller that you had about two days ago. Okay. Um, a, she called and she said she is Christian, but she has a very strong Catholic friend that mentioned to her if she does not yeah. attend the Catholic Church, then she will not go to heaven. Mm-hmm. So two questions I have about that. One of them, you asked her if she was baptized, and yes. um, she mentioned she was baptized Christian. But mm-hmm. my understanding is, and I, I know not all uh, Christians... Um, uh, do it this way. My understanding was, if you're not baptized in the Trinity, uh, baptizing the and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then it's mm-hmm. not valid. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, and which is okay. So that part I just wanted to to clarify because that's what I understood. But again, not all Christians baptize in, in the Trinity. Yes. So well, I'm they don't. That she understands that. They don't, and I always fall back on that text in the. Uh, in the Catechism, that God, we are bound by the sacraments, God is not. Uh, God is just, and justice includes mercy. Now, one of the theories is that there is such a thing as the, 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 the uh, there's heaven and there's the beatific vision. One theory is that those who are not baptized will not see God. They may go to a wonderful, wonderful eternal life if they are just people and they die in 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 God's grace, if they have been doing their best to live a good and godly life, uh, 
God is not going to punish them. But there are some theor- theories that 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 um, uh, baptism prepares us uh, for uh, the vision of, of of God to see God. You see, to be immersed, to be washed, uh, is to be born. You know, it's a kind of funny thing that that uh, I think this probably goes to ancient custom that when a child was born, that child was placed on the ground, for the Romans at least, and the Greeks did something similar. Uh, the, the child was placed on the ground in front of his father, and if the father picked that child up, the child was, was, he, was his child, and he was responsible for that child. Even if it was clear that this child was genetically his, he looked at the child and walked away, that child was literally thrown out. Part of that would have been washing the child to make the child presentable. And the baptism, the the immersion of a child in water was part of being introduced not just into a, a state of cleanliness, but being introduced into a family. And I wonder if that isn't part of the symbolism of baptism, that by being baptized in the authority, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, introduces us into that family, which is God. Remember, God is God, as St. John Paul the Great said, God is the perfect family, that our destiny is to become part of that relationship, which is God, not gods like the Mormons, but part of that relationship, which is God. And so baptism is integral to this. So that's the goal. We think about going to heaven. No, to be brought into God is the goal. And so that's one theory of it, that God will not punish the just um uh, but then uh, you see an example like from the text yesterday that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets being in the kingdom of God they were not baptized so uh, pope benedict said we have good hope that god in his mercy makes a way for those people who are just to in effect be baptized you know these things we like to make rules out of them the, the bible is a book of of, well, what I call biblical principles, and we want to make rules out of it. And I don't know the rules. I do know the principles, though. You know, of course, there are rules like, thou shalt not kill. That's not what I'm saying. Don't kill anyone. Don't steal. Don't. Those are the basic rules. And so there are rules in the Bible. But more than that, there are principles. The Bible talks to us about the nature of God. And God's justice is filled with mercy. So we have good hope. Uh, and, you know, all I can say is you trust God, especially you trust Jesus, and he'll make a way and get baptized because uh, baptism is something we're very sure about, that baptism is given us as a way into the life of God. And so if we know about baptism, it would be reprehensible if we said no to it. That said, I hear music in my head, which is nice because that means Drew's coming up. And, well, the Drew is nice. <laughs> 